Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. She is Stephanie McNeil. Children, it is Monday. We're here, and you're watching AM to DM. Yeah, I just tweeted that today was one of the first days in a really long time that I woke up without a sore throat. So Amen. I'm actually really excited to be here. I'm yes. excited to be healthy. Yes. You're feeling better too, I right? I'm feeling better. It's like the first day in maybe a week or two that I haven't just woke up like totally congested and everything. So, woo! Hey. It's a good day to be here. It's All a great right. day. And it's officially spooky season. Yes. I think that's what everyone on Twitter is calling it this year, I which like I that. really like. Okay. Xavier summed up my feelings on costumes this year perfectly. He tweeted, I need to figure out a Halloween costume. I think I might be Lauren Hill, so I can just stay home. That's so funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, you can stay home. You can just like never show up. Incredible. Rosie, I love this tweet from you. Um, I still haven't decided what to go as for Halloween, and it's giving me actual anxiety. Yeah, Let's you were talk talking about this. about this this morning. I love Halloween. I love a good costume. I love to serve a look. Every single year, at this point in the month, I start freaking out because I actually haven't gotten my costume stuff, and now I'm panicking. Now I'm like, when during this week will I have time to, I don't know. Why yeah. do I do this? It's Why like in September, this? you get excited about mm -hmm. the possibility of Halloween. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I'm going to be this and this and this, and then it's this week where it's yeah. like, you basically have like few days before it's Halloween weekend, and yeah. you're kind of like, uh. Yeah, because the thing is, and I was talking to a friend about this, I think for everyone, October is a very, very busy month. Yeah. Like, we're oh trying, my God, this like, month is crazy. Work is always crazy, the news is crazy, everyone's trying to get everything in before all the holidays start, so October is also just intense. Yeah, I actually am not a huge Halloween costume person, oh, really? solely for the reason that I am cheap. <laughs> And I do not like spending a bunch of money on pieces of costumes that mm -hmm. I'm only gonna wear once. And when I'm talking a bunch of money, I'm talking like 10, 20 bucks. I just don't wanna do oh it. Oh my gosh. I just, I just, it just like. Do we need I, to Venmo you some costume money? No, no, I like, no, <laughs> trust me, I'm fine financially. It's just, it just like it's kills like, It's just like a one night thing. Yeah, just yeah. like to spend money on one night. And I'm actually really also, I hate clutter. I'm one of those okay. people who's constantly just getting rid mm -hmm. of stuff and just, Having to like buy something and just sit with it. I have enough bridesmaids dresses where they just sit in the closet. Okay, make a costume out of that. That's true, that's there a good go. point, that's there a good go. point. Boom. Okay, Twitter, we wanna hear from you. Do you have your costume yet? Let us know using the hashtag AM2. Oh, she's so excited about that. <laughs> All right, let's get into the news because a lot is happening. Here's a tweet from Eve Ewing. Trump's administration circulated a memo saying that sex is an immutable biological human trait and proposing definitions that would eradicate federal protections for trans people by essentially saying they don't exist. This is a huge deal. Yes, this was huge on everyone's timeline yesterday. I know it's on the top of a lot of people's minds. So Parker Malloy, Media Matters for America, editor-at-large, is joining us now to talk about this. Parker, good morning. Good morning. So what was your initial reaction when you first read about this memo? Oh, I mean, it was uh, pretty much panic <laughs> um, because... Yeah, reading a headline that just says that the administration of essentially wants to define me out of existence is a scary thought. So then once I once I opened it up, it, it was even worse because there were there were certain aspects in there that were just really genuinely terrifying. I mean, um, say the way that they specified original birth certificate and uh, not revised and specifying that the only way you could tell was with genetic testing, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. I mean, honestly, I just, I, I don't know what to do. 
And I tweeted out my thoughts and they were long and there was swearing. And I, I feel like that was reasonable for the, for the occasion, but um, yeah, just, just, just feeling pretty, pretty uh, scared in general. And it's something that it's something that uh, a lot of trans people have been warning about for, for a long time. And it's, it's getting so exhausting to constantly be like, told you so, you know, because there's this perception that Trump is this pro LGBT candidate, which he never really was. Yeah. Now, I noticed I, I went through all of your tweets yesterday because you really did. And I, I, I thank you for this, because I think when we are scared and going through something that directly affects our lives, processing it on the timeline is intense. You know, um, something mm -hmm. you noted was, you know, the sense of and other people talked about this as well. Trans people being the canary in the coal mine um, and, and, and that feeling. So let's speak to that. What would you say to people who even with this memo go, well, it's just a memo. Let's not jump to conclusions. Right. Um, I, I, I think the I think the takeaway for this, you know, should be that this administration has made very clear, you know, the fact that this memo exists, even if it doesn't get implemented, even if it doesn't get put out there, they've already done things that have essentially made this this specific point. You know, they have said that, uh, you know, they've made the arguments that people that trans people are not protected by, you know, the Civil Rights Act. And you know, argued that it should be legal to fire someone for being gay. And I think that what that speaks to is that the fact that it's very clear that this administration just generally is fine with more or less erasing large sections of the country, which, you know, today it's trans people, tomorrow it could be gay people. And, you know, beyond that, it could just kind of keep going. I mean, we've seen we've seen the administration take it, uh, make attacks on a number of groups uh, over over the past you know past two years, and it's something that I, I wrote about uh, last week at Media Matters. I wrote about identity politics and how there's always this slam against uh, the left for embracing identity politics, by which people mean acknowledging trans people or you know acknowledging gay people or something like that. But if you really think about it, it's it's conservatives that go that go all in with with identity politics. They're the ones constantly putting forward these these uh, these laws to try to, you know, rein in LGBT rights and bathroom bans and, you know, banning people from the military. Like these are not things that the left brought up. And that's that's what makes it all the more frustrating, because one of the reactions that I saw a lot on Twitter yesterday um, was this is a distraction. Ignore it. Uh, this is what this is what they want. This is what the Trump administration wants people to talk about. Don't fall for it. And it's really it's 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 really frustrating to to feel like my my existence is uh, you know that some people see my existence as a distraction um, because you know doing this would it would be horrific. And I I still haven't fully processed it. And that's that's kind of scary. <laughs> Yeah, I think you make a great point that it's not really a question of will this or will this not be implemented. Just the words themselves are horrifying, yeah. especially yeah. to your community, obviously. Well, Patty Harrison had this to say, a terrifying attempt to exhaust trans, gender nonconforming, and non-binary people out of existence. Trans people alone do not have the numbers and capital to successfully advocate for and defend ourselves politically. Cis people, we need you. 
So what should cis people who are concerned about this memo focus on? What can we do to make sure this issue is uh, amplified in the right way? Sure. I, I, I think that one, uh, you know, one, one important thing people can do, and they can do this on Twitter, which, you know, is appropriate for a Twitter show. Um, they can just you know, push back when people when people say things like this is a distraction or don't talk about identity politics. Right now, the top tweet uh, pinned to my profile is my piece on identity politics. I hope people read it because it, it kind of breaks that down. You know how that's the goal is to make us make people just not talk about it. But, you know, another thing that people can do is they can, you know, they can push to get the Equality Act passed in Congress. And that is that's a bill that would essentially what it would do is it would take all of these things, because what the Trump administration is trying to do with this memo is to specific say that, that you know, federal non-discrimination laws do not include sexual orientation and or gender identity specifically, you know, and it gets very, very uh, harsh when it comes to gender identity. Um, one thing that, that could happen is if Congress passes uh, this bill called the Equality Act, um, that would explicitly you know, put those, put sexual uh, orientation, put gender identity in federal non-discrimination laws. And then we don't have to keep having this back and forth, which where the Obama administration interprets something one way, which is what they did with the um, the trans student bathroom thing that people kind of freaked out about. Um, and, or the, and then the Trump administration doing it another way and then leaving it up to the courts to figure out. So I think that it's important to, to really, you know, elect people who will support that legislation. And right now, um, there, there are not, there are 198 uh, co-sponsors of the Equality Act in the House. Two, only two of them are Republicans, and one of them is retiring at the end of this term. So, you know, right now, it seems like the, the party that will pursue this is the Democratic Party. Um, and that's why the, the bill's just been sitting there. It hasn't come up for a vote, because the, the House is in control of Republicans right now. So I think that if people get out, vote for vote for Democratic candidates um, to, to give them the House to show that, you know, send a message against conservative identity politics, which is what this is, um, pushing this stuff. This is conservative identity politics, and we need to reject it. Right. And that's where we'll have to leave it for now. Parker, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Here's a tweet from Janet Mock I wanted to read. Uh, they can try all they want, but they cannot erase us. Love her. Mm -hmm. She's the best. Yeah. All right, so let's get into this a little more. Let's talk about the memo itself and what it's trying to do. BuzzFeed News reporter Dominic Holden has been reporting this for ages, joins us now. Hello, good morning. Hi. Hi, Dom. So obviously you've been reporting on trans issues and LGBT issues forever. Is there anything from forever. this report forever <laughs> since the beginning of time? Is there anything from this report that stuck out to you the most? Um, I think that we need to put this memo in context. The Trump administration has made it very clear that they are interested in rolling back transgender rights and the rights of all LGBT people. This is a memo, according to the New York Times, from last spring that originated in HHS, um, and they were interested in re rewriting the definition of how sex is interpreted under Title IX, 
which is which governs uh, public education. HHS, Health and Human Services, is not the primary agency that handles enforcement of Title IX. Uh, that is the education department that does that. So it's unclear what came from this memo. Roger Severino, the head of HHS's Civil Rights Division, uh, comes from the Heritage Foundation. He is known as an opponent of transgender rights. So this memo could represent something that happened a very long time ago, where he's essentially making a list of things that he wishes could happen. We don't know if there's been any action taken on it. We don't know if there's been any decision taken on it. We don't know how HHS would be able to influence rulemaking for the education department, which would oversee any Title IX regulation. Um, while we ponder this, we should also keep in mind that the administration has made clear it was giving some weight to these notions in the past. There is a federal court in northern Texas where a judge has found, kind of an aberration from the rest of the country, that gender, that sex, was based on a person's biological sex. So it's not exactly a surprise that the administration is now saying that uh, they are considering this, or said it last spring. We've known that they were giving weight to these considerations. I want us to keep in mind something else about the New York Times report that has a lot of people alarmed. And there are alarming parts, such as the idea of genetic testing. But there is a notion that the administration wants to write transgender people out of existence. And they may have a motive to do that. We don't know from the Times report. But there are policies that continue to protect and recognize transgender people at the federal level. There is an executive order covering federal workers and federal contractors on the basis of their gender identity. So trans people are recognized there. That is enforced by the Department of Labor. Um, there is also the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, another federal agency that actively recognizes transgender rights on the basis of sex, including a case out of the Sixth Circuit that's now on appeal to the Supreme Court. At the uh, level of Congress, we have the Violence Against Women Act, we have the Shepherd Bird Hate Crimes Law, and the Hate Crimes Statistics Act that all recognize transgender people. Plus, there are a mountain of federal court decisions at the district court and circuit court level that recognize transgender people on the basis of sex. So it's not as if a regulation can be promulgated, and there, this could happen, there could be a regulation recognized that, that fails to recognize transgender people and says that everyone is defined by their birth sex, but that does not write transgender people out of existence, both in the executive branch or by federal law. Okay, so, and, and Dom, and, and thank you for that broader context and, 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 and the bigger picture. My question then, and, and we do have to keep this a bit short, is then what do we do with this information? Like, this is a memo from last spring. Here we are both obviously going into midterm elections, but as many people have said, and Stephanie's noted, it's just incredibly alarming. So from your perspective, um, as a national reporter, what should people make of this? Um, do we go, okay, everyone calm down, or is there another reasonable approach? Um, people should be alarmed, but only insofar as the administration is marching along the same path it has for quite some time. People should look for regulations that are forthcoming from Health and Human Services and the Education Department concerning uh, interpreting sex under the ACA and under Title IX. That could be out later this month. There could be things later this fall. And by nature, regulations allow for a public comment period. So people who are interested in commenting absolutely should. And then remember, if they disagree with a regulation once it's in place, it can be challenged in court and almost certainly would if they do this and people can support those lawsuits. All right.
Yeah, it's definitely great context. Thank you so much, Dom. Thank you. Thanks. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News' Latin America correspondent, Carla Zabludowski. Imagine walking a marathon that's 23 plus miles, 23 miles plus, in 90 degrees with no breakfast, water, or shade. This is the migrant caravan. Wow. Well, Carla has been traveling with the caravan uh, for more than, of more than 7,000 people since last week, and she joins us right now. She's with the caravan. Carla, good morning. Hi, thank you for having me. I love that you can be there and literally on your phone um, as you're with these people. So let's talk about these people because I feel like they're getting lost in the coverage. Who are they um, and what are they trying to accomplish? So most of them are Honduran. They're from Central America. Um, it's a lot of families, a lot of children, some single men that are traveling. Uh, sorry, I'm going to move because it's loud. Uh, they're traveling. They're trying to get to the U.S. to get a job, make some money, send it back home. There are no jobs back home. They're fleeing violence. Um, so that's that's basically who the, the, the caravan is. It's 7,000 people who are, you know, fleeing very, very hostile conditions at home. But there's also very hostile conditions because of the elements on this trek. Can you explain? You've been there with them for about a week, right? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? It cut off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So the conditions on the ground during the trek are also pretty bad, right? Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, conditions on the on the journey up here have been really treacherous. Uh, most of the people have been traveling for over a week, mostly walking. They've walked up through Central America. Uh, yesterday they walked, like you said, uh, more than 23 miles in extreme heat, very little water. Uh, they really are getting no help except from locals. Uh, they keep saying that they're just incredibly grateful for the donated clothes that they're getting, um, bottles of water that they may or may not get along the way. Um, it's really complicated and it's especially hard because many of them are traveling with little kids, so they're having to carry them. And then the kids, they walk, they're getting blisters. Everyone is just really exhausted at this point. Wow. Um, well, we're going to talk about President Trump in just a moment, but I did want to ask you, Carla, uh, what is, how is the government of Mexico responding? They have this, uh, sorry, this very strange strategy. First of all, they, uh, they essentially shut down the border. They put up a gate. They reinforced it the morning that the caravan got to uh, the bridge with Honduras. And um, they've been trying to get people to wait on the bridge and process, uh, you know, people individually for refugee visas. But obviously, that's going to take just so long. They've been able to process just over a thousand in the last three days. But we're talking about seven thousand people who crossed, you know, just in the last twenty-four hours. Um, so. Yeah, Carla, I feel like it's so valuable to have you on our show literally right from right. the caravan in the middle of it all. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening around you? Yeah, so we're in Tapachula. It's the first stop that uh, migrants have on their way uh, up north. Uh, I'm in a plaza in the middle of town. I, there are people everywhere. There's so many children, uh, women breastfeeding their kids, changing diapers. Um, what's really surprising to me is, or, or I, I just think it's, it's worth noting, um, people are cleaning up after themselves just constantly. There are organizers walking around with megaphones telling people, you know, clean up after yourself, let's stay organized, let's behave properly, we're not at home, this is not our country. Um, and so you see, uh, you know, bags of trash everywhere, just like properly organized, 
Um, just people trying to keep to themselves, uh, stay really respectful. Uh, but they're struggling. There are no bathrooms. Um, no one's been able to take a shower in over a week. There's really no shade. Uh, it's been raining at night. Wow. It's yeah. I mean, and as you were talking, it uh, looked like a mother and her child walked right, right behind you. So that really kind of reinforces the humanity of all of this, seeing a mother and child just, you know, trying to make it work. So Trump this morning tweeted about the caravan. He's been tweeting about the caravan for days now. This morning he said, sadly, it looks like Mexico's police and military are unable to stop the caravan heading to the southern border of the U.S. Criminals and unknown Middle Easterners are mixed in. I have alerted Border Patrol and military that this is a national emergency, that's an SIC, must change laws. Okay, Carla, where could he possibly be getting this idea? I know you might not know, but do you have any idea where he'd be getting this idea that Middle Eastern people are involved in this? Uh, well, he wasn't talking about this caravan, uh, but the information comes from Guatemalan President Jimmy Morales. He uh, mentioned this uh, earlier this month, October 11th, in a conference that um, U.S. government authorities were in attendance. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's uh, important to note that the U.S. is a pretty significant ally of Guatemala. They want to keep on uh, the U.S.'s good side. And um, what Jimmy Morales, Guatemala's president, was talking about was uh, how many people have been detained and deported since he came into office in uh, January 2016. So it's been uh, a couple years. Um, and it's, he said, about 100 terrorists, not all of them ISIS, 100 terrorists, but he didn't get any more information because they, they he said that it's confidential. It's um, They're keeping it to themselves for national security reasons. Okay. Well, Carla, again, thank you for joining us. You've been um, with this caravan for over a week. I'm really glad we got to speak with you. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks. All right, friends, we have a great show for you today. Kieran and Shipka, we are both so excited so about excited. Sabrina. Uh, and I'm also so excited to see Jada Pinkett Smith and her mom, Adrian Banfield Norris, later today. Uh, they'll be here. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Welcome back. Okay, so we were talking about Halloween costumes mm -hmm. and trying to get ready, unsuccessfully in our case. Um, Princess Leia, and I believe you are in the Netherlands, right? You said apparently Halloween isn't a big deal here, so I don't have my costume together. In fact, I gave my, in case I spiral into self-loathing and don't want to wear my originally planned costume, here's my tried and true backup costume before I move. That's oh, so funny. Yes. So That's my real. like tried and true yeah. costume that I finally got rid of mm -hmm. was like my cheerleader outfit from high school. <laughs> It's <laughs> not even a costume. It's like That's the most lazy thing in the world. <laughs> I love. Here's my tip. I, I would say, and this works for everyone. Everyone, and this is no gender. Everyone looks good in a nice black suit or something, and like one of those simple, classic Italian masks or whatever. Like mm. you can get those anywhere, really cheap. So that might be my. My go-to. That, yeah, that's a good yeah, idea. I, I keep one on backup, but let's get to I wish tweets. I had like a nice suit or something. See? Yeah. Get one. Yeah. yeah. All, All right, right, you ready? Let's go. Mads tweeted, brains are miraculous things. They have discovered planets and medicine. They allow us to see and experience the world around us. They also just be like, I don't know what to do, what to make you do with your arms right now. And you stand there like a fool with weird arms. <laughs> yeah. The struggle. I mean, you know, the other day I literally forgot how to spell the word why. 
and like had to concentrate, you know? What's going on? Why isn't on? that some words you never can spell? I don't know. Unanimous. I always you struggle. You need neuroscience I always struggle. Here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this tweet is from Parker. Haunted house idea. A poorly lit Walmart littered with people you haven't seen since oh high school. God. Ugh. Ugh. Ah. Like going back to your Ooh. hometown Ooh. and like you're just walking around like trying to mind your own business and it's like, oh, hey. <laughs> no, thank you. No, no, no. no. Too much. That's too I scary. I don't go there anymore. Too scary. All right, Bailey. If I had a dollar for every time I hit a curb, I'd have like $27, which is not a lot of money, but it is a lot of times to hit a curb. That is so true. That's true. Now, I gotta tell you, you know, I've been doing this road trip series with Isaac. Mm -hmm. And so we've we've driven, we should have, I wonder how many miles we've clocked. I didn't know Surely. you guys actually were like driving. Yeah, we fly to the first city and then we drive the rest of the, and, so, and Isaac has driven almost the whole time. And I've gotta say this, he's an excellent driver. I don't have a license, and even when I did, I was a terrible driver. Isaac. Great driver. You don't have a license? No. I let it lapse, and then I was like, you know, the world is probably better off. That's <laughs> where I am. Okay, and our uh, friend of the show, oh, I see, friend of the show, Chrissy Teigen. Oh, I love it. That's I love that we get to say that. First name so cool. basis with Chrissy. Oh, right. our friend, Chrissy. Our friend, Chrissy, our girl, okay. What are we making for Thanksgiving? Are we still on this turkey bullshit? <laughs> are you a Thanksgiving food person? I love Thanksgiving so much. Okay. I like a good smoked turkey for Thanksgiving um, is great, but yeah, I don't, where do you feel, do you have a problem with turkey? Um, I usually don't eat it on Thanksgiving. I, like I was a vegetarian for a long time, oh, okay. and so now I just like, it doesn't do anything for mm -hmm. me. I'm not a huge Thanksgiving eater person. Oh God, I, I'm living for it, yeah. living for Thanksgiving. But we're almost food. there, we'll almost do it. There. All, All right. right, tweet of the day, ready? What part of I need to save money don't I understand? Oh. Brock. Whew. Brock. Killing me softly, Brock. Brock, you got it. <laughs> you understand me. You get me. One day. Uh, if I could just like have money and not have to save money, it would be so great. <laughs> <laughs> Mood. Mood. All right, well, coming up, Stephanie is sitting down with Karen and Shipka to talk about the chilling adventures of Sabrina. So excited to get spooked. Up next, though, we're going live from the district because that's really scary. Yeah. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. What's up, Paul? Hey, guys. How's it going? We're doing all right. Can't complain. We're here. We're yeah. cute. Uh, well, here's a tweet from CNN's Clarissa Ward. Surveillance footage shows Saudi operative in Khashoggi's clothes after he was killed. I've seen the footage. Uh, this is this story only gets more bizarre. So, Paul, to start, um, who is the Saudi operative identified in the video? Yeah, this is wild. It is like straight out of a Jean Le Carré novel. Basically, this guy was a body double. So the footage shows him going into the uh, Saudi uh, consulate before Khashoggi did, I think like two hours before, and then after his murder, this guy comes out in his clothes and is uh, supposed to uh, walk around and get surveillance tape of himself so that it appears as if Khashoggi uh, survived the meeting. So he walks around and then eventually goes into a zoo and then goes to a bathroom and then ditches the, the I mean, he was wearing the journalist's clothing, they were wearing Khashoggi's own clothing, ditches all of that eventually, and then uh, walks away in his own clothes. So the idea was to create this whole false story of how he walked out of the Saudi embassy uh, totally fine and unharmed, except 
the Turkish government saw right through this and pieced together showing how this was a, a fake, a body double, and how this whole thing was a ruse. So, I mean, it just, it's unbelievable. It's, as I say, right out of spy novel stuff. Yeah, wow. I mean, that sounds like a plot of a movie or sounds something. Sounds like Homeland Yeah, I was, I was thinking it's Homeland nuts. as well. I mean, except for obviously it's real and horrifying. So what is the Saudi government's stance today? Have they admitted any responsibility? What is their party line right now? Yeah, uh, they are now at the point where they're admitting that he was murdered in the embassy, but uh, certainly the big strategy has been to isolate and insulate uh, MBS Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, the de facto ruler of the country, to insulate him from any of the blame. So the f official line, I mean, first it was, of course, that there, there was no murder, this never happened, and then it was in an accident, and now... It's, uh, there was a fist fight that escalated out of control and these were rogue elements and they did not have the authority to do this and this was all just one big misunderstanding. They are now uh, arresting, the Saudi government is arresting their own agents uh, and uh, I think 18 people have been arrested so far including some like senior advisors. So the plan is clearly to say that this was, this was not authorized, this does not go to the top and we are going to take action by, uh, uh, by uh, you know, by penalizing and imprisoning the people who are truly responsible for this. Um, this is bizarre in so many ways, Paul, of course, but one reason is that we are here, what may be two weeks from midterm elections. Um, the stakes are so high uh, politically uh, for the United States, just to set aside, aside the fact, you know, a murder, but, um, you know, and, and I'm just like, how does the White, how is the White House dealing with this? Is there a way for them to navigate this um, while also dealing with the very important relationship the government has with the Saudi Arabian government? Yeah, I mean, the conventional wisdom is that foreign affairs don't really move votes. Uh, there's a fair amount of data to back that up. It looks like the White House is trying to sort of soft-pedal this. Uh, they are not trying to explicitly take the Saudi government's side, but also President Trump has been quite wishy-washy about the whole thing, saying, look, there's an investigation, we don't know yet uh, whether this goes to the top or not. But you're right, it's a very delicate for them. I mean, they're they very much taking the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend approach, and their main enemy is Iran, and Saudi is a, a big enemy, basically fighting a proxy war with Iran. So the United States really wants to maintain this relationship. And so far, the White House's approach has been to try to have it both ways while condemning the killing, but not severing that relationship. Yeah, I find this story so interesting because it is, I think, to just your average news voter a li or news viewer, a little convoluted, right? It's mm -hmm. involving all of these foreign governments. Yeah. It's very, you sprawling. know, sprawling. Mm -hmm. But we keep talking about it. It keeps to be on the top of everyone's minds in the news industry. Do you think it is something that could resonate with voters? Yeah, because at the at the heart of it, uh, I mean, there was a, a journalist was murdered, and a journalist was murdered by agents of a foreign country, and it's there's I don't think too too many people who really buy that this does not go to the top. I mean, it's it's if you look at the people, I mean, even congressmen are open, like Republican congressmen, Democratic congressmen, everyone is coming out and saying, like, really, really, this is the strategy? I mean, or this is the story? It doesn't ring credible. And at a certain point, if your allies are murdering journalists, journalists who work for American papers, 
uh, I mean, that, there's a moral clarity there that I think most people can come to of, well, we can't stand for this. So, yeah, as much as this is a, a, a very complicated geopolitical story with different weighing alliances, I mean, that really is the heart of it, is that are people going to be allowed to get away with murdering a reporter? And and because of that, I think this is going to be something that is going to be more on people's minds than it would normally be. I don't know what kind of effect it could have on midterm elections, but it is something that clearly uh, they're not just going to be able to hand wave away either the Saudi government or other governments because the attention on this is not going away. People really do care about it. It's just really stunning. And I, and I do, uh, because of every, the stakes you just reminded us of, want to take it back to Khashoggi and his family. Um, has his body been produced? Will his family uh, be able to bury him? Uh, no, I don't. I, I believe that there have been conflicting reports about what has happened to his, his body. Uh, we don't seem to really know what the state of that is at all. Of course, it's the Saudis who who would, would have his remains. And uh, last I've heard, uh, there's just a lot of ambiguity about there and a lot of different answers. And I, I don't, uh, we don't, we don't yet know if his family is going to be able to have that piece. My goodness. Yeah, well, I think obviously this story is very interesting to all of us, but we should keep in mind the fact that this is a real person who was murdered, a person in our profession. And obviously we want to get justice for him and everything everyone is thinking of his family in this time. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, well said. All right, thanks guys. Up next, I sit down with the star of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, actress Kiernan Shipka. Stay tuned. Here's an Instagram from Kiernan Shipka. Ooh, join me in the embalming room, you wrote. Joining me now in the AMCDM studio is Kiernan Shipka, star of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Hello. So glad you're here. So happy to be here. So I obviously grew up with the original Sabrina, which mm -hmm. was a comedy, and I watched the first episode of your show, which uh -huh. is completely different. It's a completely different vibe. Definitely. What was it like getting into the spooky world of Sabrina? It's so fun. The spooky world's fun because it is spooky and scary when you're filming it, but at the same time, the set's still really lighthearted. So like, you know, the demon's still going to crafty to get like a banana at 4 p.m. to hold them over. You know, like, it's just everyone's still so fun and, and normal that the insanity almost feels even funnier that way. Um, but it's great. It's a great vibe. I know that, you know, your show is so different than the original Sabrina. Did you watch it growing up? I know you were a little young for it, right? Yeah, I know. I was a little before my time. It came out in 96. I was born in 99. Um, so it was, and it also wasn't the time where you, like, had Netflix to... Rewatch exactly. old shows, so exactly. never caught it. Yeah, so the show is also by the Riverdale showrunner, mm -hmm. and I know you've talked about that you're a huge fan of Riverdale. Big fan, big fan. We're, we have so many fan, or fans of the show who are huge fans of Riverdale. Yeah. We love Riverdale, obviously. We love Riverdale. Is there ever gonna be like a crossover episode? I mean, I hope so. Honestly, I don't know. Um, and I could go into like a long-winded answer about it or my theories as to like what kind of crossover there could be. I will say that I think it could only work if a character from their show came to our show or vice versa maybe, but the shows are so totally different that I don't think we could ever like merge them. But I do think it'd be fun. I mean, they're a town, it's a town over. It makes, I mean, come on. That's like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, the Upper West Side to the Upper East Side. Like, you're gonna run into each other. Like, it's just gonna happen. So I think so. I think it should happen. 
Who do you think Sabrina would be friends with on the show? Archie and Betty. I think they're like the they're like the fixers, you know? They're like mad at their town and they want to make it different and want to stand up for what they believe is right. Um, and I feel like Sabrina's the same, same kind of gal. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, if in this region there's just so much interesting kind of weird shit going on, yeah. someone's going to have to be like, hey, maybe we should talk about this. Maybe totally. we should talk about the fact like, that... <laughs> we've got some Gargoyle King stuff happening in our town, and you're a full-blown witch. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, something's yeah. definitely in the water out there. There could be a lot of crossover For sure. situations. So I, when I was watching your show... I couldn't help but think there's such an amazing moment right now, obviously, with the Women's March and mm -hmm. Me Too, and I feel like women are angry and they're kind of taking a stand. And I have yeah. to wonder if that has to do with the influence of witches we're seeing in the culture now, right? You know, yeah. we have your show, we have Charmed. I feel like we all kind of just want to be witches and hex everyone and burn everything down. Totally. What do you think about that? It's such a, it's such a, like, witches are it right now. It's kind of the season of the witch in so many ways. And I do think that it, it is, it is sort of reflective of, of the movements that are happening right now. In a lot of ways, it feels timeless and timely at the same time. And what I kind of love about our show is that it manages to be an escape from reality while also sort of mirroring reality. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really cool avenue to go down um, because you don't kind of have to do one thing with witches. It can, you can interpret it in so many different ways. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's fun. Who doesn't love a little witchcraft either? And there's so much, I feel like, allegory there with Sabrina, you know, becoming a witch, but also becoming a woman. And totally. just being like, you know, in the first episode, she's very kind of trying to flex her power as a woman. Yeah. And it's kind of like, an, I don't know, an allegory. Definitely, way. totally. It's, um, it's in so many ways just a coming of age story that's very relatable besides maybe the witch aspect. <laughs> um, but, but definitely, yeah, I feel like playing a character that's two years younger than me, I definitely kind of look back on my 16-year-old years and feel like, oh, wow, that is very, you know, relatable and analogous to, like, what I think a teenage experience is for a lot of young girls. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so I can't have you here on this couch and not talk about Mad Men. Gotta talk about Obviously. it. Obviously. Gotta, gotta do it. I feel like the show ended quite a few years ago at this point, but people talk about it still so much, and yeah. it's just such an enduring part of our culture. What mm -hmm. it's like to be a part of that? Amazing. I mean, so amazing. And it's, it's funny because I grew up on the show when the show was ending. I had been on the show longer than I hadn't in like life years, Wow, which is crazy, which is nuts. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was an amazing experience. And it was like such a major part of my childhood. I mean, I was always in I always studied independently and did like a independent study program sort of thing. So I never went to an actual normal school, but I would almost equate Mad Men to like a school. Like, you know, it was the place that I went every couple days, you know, and, 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 and saw people that I knew and it was such a familiar thing. Um, so it's amazing to, to, you know, be part of such a, such a wonderful thing. It's, it's, Crazy. Did you get any advice from your former castmates about, you know, you were a supporting character on that show, now mm -hmm. you have your own show where you are the face of it? Yeah. I mean, I think for me personally, just watching them do their work was sort of, it was all that unspoken sort of advice that I, that I just, you know, soaked up like a sponge watching them work so solidly and incredibly over the years that that was, you know, that was unforgettable and just absolutely so valuable for me going into this project. We just mentioned the Women's March. I have to think that Sally would be 
out there Death. wearing the pussy hat. Completely. She would just be on the front lines. What do you think totally. that she'd be doing right now? She'd be in her 60s. Oh my God, she'd be she'd be running the town. She would be definitely doing something really good. I feel like um, I, I think about her from time to time and I always smile and I always have a lot of hope for, for what she would have been up to because in so many ways she had to grow up quite quickly, but I think that would have made her a stronger person in a lot of ways, so. She'd definitely be out there killing it right now. Oh, yeah. Totally. She's such a badass. She I love really her. is. Okay, so... Sally 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, Sally 2020. That's something I can get behind. Spin off. Here we go. We're love working it. it. We're working it. Love it. Okay, so obviously yeah. we're a Twitter show. We're airing on Twitter. So we're going to play it. a little game, if you don't mind. Great. It's called, Did You Tweet That? Cool. So I'm going to read a tweet, and you have to tell me, did you tweet it or not? Okay. You have a pretty good Twitter. I like your Twitter. I, I get so nervous about Twitter. I like I feel like I have to like I, I don't know. I don't have a I just I'm I'm very like I'm I feel like I'm very comfortable and in my element on Instagram and I feel like I'm like I don't know what to say on Twitter, but all right. I feel I feel like the same way actually. Yeah. Twitter Twitter's can be kind of a minefield. I feel like I'm okay. an outcast on Twitter. Tweet one. That feeling when you realize your dog has a much more thriving social life than you do. I did tweet that. I did indeed. See, that's a great tweet. You got nothing yep. to be nervous about. Thank you. Okay, number two. I think everyone on my flight is going to Coachella. I didn't tweet that. Actually, your co-star Ross Lynch tweeted did that. Did he? Oh my God, I remember when he went to Coachella too. That's so he was taking a flight from Vancouver to Los Angeles. So I have to tell you that he was one of the first people I ever interviewed on Really? The show. Oh my God, so funny. And he's so great he and is so a nice. He's a sweetheart. Yeah. A I feel sweetheart. like he's one of those people, you know, obviously, I was kind of new to it. I was yeah. He's so nice. He's the greatest. Yeah. He's, he's my Harvey. He's adorable. I love him so much. I know. I feel like yeah. it's like you guys are so cute together yeah. on the show, too. Love it. Okay. Nobody says I love you the same way. Ooh, I didn't tweet that. I'm not that prolific with my. Okay, we have to shout out to our heartthrob, Noah. It's Noah. It's It's my my bae. (laughs) Your bae. It's my boyfriend that that doesn't know that I'm (laughs) his girlfriend yet. Well, Um, we're telling him right now, obviously. I've told him several times, and he has not gotten back to me. It's very serious. Come on, Noah. Come on. Come on. One day he'll notice me. One day. One day. One One day. day. Okay. My mind just registered a PTA meeting as a Paul Thomas Anderson meeting. Yeah, I tweeted that because someone did say PTA meeting. I was like, ooh, there's a Paul Thomas Anderson like meeting group where we talk about his movies. And then I realized that it was a parent-teacher association meeting. <laughs> but that sounds great. That fun. It, but I, I would I, rather go to a Paul Thomas Anderson meeting. Oh, hell but yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay, we got one more. Okay. Salem and the cat must actually possess some kind of satanic power as this handsome fellow walked the red carpet with zero instances of bad behavior. Wow, I definitely did not tweet that. Um, but we have, I'm sorry, I'm a huge cat person. Are you cut did. Are you nice. cats or dogs? I'm allergic to cats, which is super fun to work no. with one. Um, <laughs> love it. No, I'm kidding. Salem's great, but I am allergic to cats, so we do have to keep our distance from each other. So naturally, I'm a dog person. Um, it, you know, just yeah. like. Wait, so how do you work with Salem if you're allergic? I take a lot of Zyrtec. And um, I, I, I uh, you know, I, I'm sponsored by Zyrtec. And not really, <laughs> unsponsored. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's that. And then I, I, I deal with the itchies and some, some hives from time to time. I'm so sorry. Well, you're, so de- you're dedicated to your craft. It's fine. It's all good. The things we do. Okay, before I let you go, I have to let yep. you know, 
What can we expect from Sabrina? I know you guys are on season two now, yeah, right? Yeah, we're already, we straight into season two. Like That's very exciting. Just right into it. So can yeah. you give us any little hint about the show? Oh, yeah. I feel like it's such a, uh, you know, without spoiling anything, it's such an entertaining ride like the first season, but just like the stakes are always getting bigger and bigger and, and more heightened. And this episode that we're filming now in particular is just like, blowing my mind and just the way that the characters have grown and changed I mean it still manages to infuse humor with like massive amounts of drama and craziness and I just feel like each episode gets better and better and crazier and crazier so I'm excited for people to see it I'm excited to just binge and spooky season, yep. get a little hot cider. Totally. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Time out of your busy schedule to talk oh, to me. Anytime. Any, anything for BuzzFeed. Oh, thanks. You guys take up enough of my time every day <laughs> with your <laughs> quizzes. So. You know, I'm always <laughs> glad to hear that because that's all I spend my day doing. Oh, too. my God. <laughs> I'm just pretending to work. All my life advice straight from BuzzFeed. <laughs> well, The Jilligan Adventures of Sabrina premieres on Netflix October 26th, and more AMCDM is up next. The Hate You Give came out this weekend, and everyone is talking about the Oscar-worthy performance from our man crush Monday. Oh, Russell Hornsby. Ooh, look at those hearts. That's how we're feeling right about now. <laughs> Sylvia Obell, BuzzFeed News entertainment reporter and host of Hella Opinions, joins me now. Okay, so unfortunately, I did not get to see the movie this weekend. I was out of town, but tell me about his performance. His, Russell, so, okay, so, The Hate You Give is a movie about, it's the first big motion picture uh, about the Black Lives Matter movement. They tell it through the lens of a fictional, ta uh, a fictional story of Star who sees her friend get killed by a, a police officer unarmed during the stop. And Russell Hornsby plays her father, Maverick. And he is... Quite a complex character, but in like the best way, because he's like the soft, vulnerable dad, is very loving towards his children, but also has this history of he used to be a gang member, he served some time in jail, and you know, he's, but he's still very revolutionary because of those experiences. Like he's made, you know, he's gone over to talk with them about what to do if the police stop you. He made them memorize the Black Panther five point system, which is like a real old school black dad thing to do. <laughs> like, but so I just, he's, he, and he's just, I was obsessed with his character by the end of the film. What stood out to you about his character? I think it's just that we don't normally get to see men like him portrayed in that way, where often if you have this ex-con former gang member father who's had like a child like out of wedlock too it's kind of like a he can only he's we usually only see that portrayed one way russell really gives heart to it he loves his wife he loves his kids he's make he loves his community despite all of what you might think about him he's like really a great father and oftentimes we don't the scale of masculinity for black men and the way it's depicted doesn't allow them to to have that kind of range that Russell Hornsby really brings to this character. Yeah, I think so many people probably, you know, would stereotype him in one way and then it shows like how layered this character is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is how people are in real life if you just get to know them and learn a little, a little bit more about them. Right, like he's the kind of guy where it's like you see him on the street and maybe if you were stereotyping him you would cross to the other side or be afraid. But you know, if you know him and he's in your family, he's this big guy, but you know that he'll like kiss you all over your face and like hold you at night if you're going through something and give you just real good advice. So I'm just really excited for us to continue to show that, you know, black characters are not monolith. 
Uh, Russell in particular, he's one of those actors where I feel like you see him and you're like, oh my God, I've seen him in everything. Yeah. But this, <laughs> it seems like he, this is really turning out to be a huge role for him. Do you think it's kind of be his, like, I don't want to say breakout because he's been working forever. He's but been working forever, but I hope it's the role in which they finally give him an Oscar. Please give him an Oscar nomination at least. Like, I, he deserves, Russell Hornsby is so talented. He's been in the industry for so long and has been overlooked time and time again. And I just think that, like you said, it's not his breakout role, but I think it's the first role in which maybe he can have the, that it's part of a studio and a moment that could give him an Oscar campaign you know, that can hopefully get him to there, so. Yeah, I know you, you have some knowledge about that kind of stuff. Are we thinking that he will get a uh, nomination, or are we not sure yet? Um, you know, you never know with the Academy, but, you know, I think the, the studio that produced the film has said that they are going to do a campaign in Alana's story um, on BuzzFeed News. She talks to Russell and a Fox representative who says they are going to, you know, position this for Oscar nominations, and at that point after that, it's up to the Academy to do the right thing. But you know how that goes sometimes. Yeah. Well, we're all rooting for you, Russell. You're at MCM. Sylvia, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. Up next, Saeed is sitting down with Jada Pinkett-Smith and Adrian Banfield-Norris. Stay tuned. Hello, my queens. I am here with two queens, actor Jada Pinkett-Smith and her wonderful mother, Adrienne Banfield-Norris, the co-host of Red Table Talk on Facebook Watch. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you both for being here with us today. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. us. I love it. I, we, you know, as a social media show, we really love uh, what Red Table Talk has done in terms of like bringing this conversation to people. And so it's just great to have you back. Well, you know, I you. love it. Um, we have a tweet here about someone who's also very excited, Rebecca. Uh, you tweeted, the Red Table Talk with Will and Jada next week is going to be an event. <laughs> I may need to take the day off and watch it with a bottle of wine or bourbon. <laughs> people awesome. are ready. And of course, you know, I'm sure a lot of people like me have been very eager to see Will take a seat at the table. Right. With both, and it's happening. Um, and you, you tackle, uh, you know, rumors about your marriage, which, mm -hmm. wow. Why did you feel the need to address them publicly? Well, you know, that's just a very, very small mm -hmm. segment, and it's kind of like the fun it's the portion. That right, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's like the fun, you mm -hmm. know, segment. But um, I think why I wanted to do the show as a whole is because I know that in the very tough times in my own life, mm -hmm. when I've reached out to people and they have had the courage to um, share their testimony with me in a very real way, mm -hmm. Instead of, oh, girl, it's going to be fine. Right, just just hang in there. Yeah, and just mm -hmm. write it off. But mm -hmm. really lay it on the table, mm -hmm. their truth. Mm -hmm. It every time has changed my life. Every time has ha prevented me from making some really dumb decisions, mm -hmm. some really stupid mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like between my mother, myself, and Willow, mm -hmm. we just had so much to offer from our experiences that we've had. Sure. And I just feel like we're all in this thing called life together. We're all trying to figure this thing out. Why wouldn't we share it? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and I just know what the impact has been for me in my life when people have had the courage to share. Wow. 
and that is has brought a lot of change and it brought a it brought a lot of healing into my own personal life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I always feel like it's more helpful to share your experience and not necessarily offer advice. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More relatable. More yeah. Visible. Well, you know, again, the show is three generations of women. It's you, your mother, uh, and of course Willow, mm -hmm. who's wonderful. Um, I, I wondered, Adrian, for you doing this with your daughter and your granddaughter, what, since the show has started, has you've had to change or has changed you <laughs> since, you know, having these conversations? So much, yeah. so yeah. much. Um, first of all, just getting myself in the mindset of um, being able to put myself out there authentically has been quite a challenge. I mean, they're used to being in the public eye. This is, this is all new for me. Okay. Yeah, but then on top of that, it's been an awesome learning experience. Like learning, I mean, you think you know people, but really it's been an opportunity to learn and grow with both of them, because I'm learning from them every day. And we're learning from her. There's so much I've learned about my mother. Like I said, it's like, you, well, like you just said, yeah. you think you know right. people, mm -hmm. but you really don't until mm -hmm. you really decide, hey, we're gonna have an in-depth conversation about this. And it's yeah. like, really? Okay, well, let me just tell you. This is, it's like, what? Right. <laughs> you know, so right. um, that's been really, it's, it's been, been really, great. it's been great. It's been so healing in our lives and our relationships. Yes. Um, that red table has been something else. It's so beautiful, yeah. it's so beautiful. And good for all of us to yeah. see. And it's really, for me also, it just really made me look at who I am. Mm -hmm inside at the core. Mm -hmm. All know? of us. Yeah, yeah, so. Well, something that, you know, as I watch and, and, and talking to other people, um, you know, that I wanted to ask you as the as the matron, you know, as the queen of this queendom, right. um, is a lot of people are just like, how did this family, how did Will and Jaden, well, how did this family get to this point of, of talking uh, like this so honestly, because it isn't something that comes very naturally right. or is always welcomed in our family. And so I, did, is this an extension of how you raised your daughter? No. No. <laughs> it, it's not. And you, you know that's the truth. We, we, didn't we didn't have talks like the, the way you talk to Willow. And the, no, that's true. Yeah. But we did have some real, I guess through our life experiences. Yeah, as, as you got older. Yeah, we just weren't able there was a lot of things we had to keep very real. <laughs> yes, we did. Okay. We did. That's real we talk. Now, we might not have had the kind of talks that me and Willow yeah. had, but you know. We did. I love this. Okay. I love the immediate fact check. Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It was just in a different way. It was in a different way. You know? But I think the other thing, too, is that what made it so comfortable for Jada is that she and Will just really, really, like, communication has been key mm -hmm. in their relationship always. I mean, like, I would look, be, I would be sitting there and I was like, what are they talking about? <laughs> you know, they're talking all the time. What are they talking oh about? Yeah. yeah, but communication is the key, yep. you know, and they just talk all the time and it just made it easy been, for you to share that with other people. We've been dissolving the layers as we go. You know, this has been a seven-year transformation, specifically for myself and for Will and I. Mm -hmm. So what we're sharing is old for us. Mm -hmm. yeah, that like seems new. Right. To, right. You know, old hatchets and... It's old. It's old mm -hmm. stuff. You right. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like... Um, 
people are like, oh my God, it's so revealing. It's like, I guess, Not but really. we've really been sitting with it for yeah. a long like, time. like, it's news to you. It's news right. to you, yeah. but we've been like, <laughs> you know? So that's the other thing, mm-hmm. too. It's not... It's not fresh. I don't think that seven years ago, mm-hmm. Will and I could have had this conversation. Okay. Yeah. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. So it's all about um, a process mm-hmm. and, and um, getting to a place where you can, um, if you can hold your own truth, mm. then it helps others hold your truth as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so. Well, to that point, uh, something we do on the show pretty regularly, I go by the Ferocity on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have an advice uh, segment Mm -hmm. called Dear Ferocity, where people direct message me questions, all kinds of writing, life stuff, relationships, anything. Um, And so we wanted to do a red table talk edition (laughs) of Dear Ferocity. So so over the weekend, I tweeted that you were both coming and that if particularly people had questions about parenting, mothers, daughters, and we got some good questions. Okay. Um, So I'll just read them and you both can jump in however you you feel. Uh, First, uh, is there a specific parenting strategy you think more parents should implement to benefit their children? How were you able to build the trust that allowed your children to be so open and honest with you? I'll tell you, I wish there was a formula. Mm. You know, all I can say is that you, if you can just really be in present time with your kids and see what they need versus what other parents are doing with their children or even how you were raised, Mm -hmm. you know, because times are different. And um, what our kids now, I feel like each generation needs something different. Um, And so I would just say if you could just have the openness to really just be with your child in present time Mm -hmm. and have the courage to think outside the box and also think about what your child needs. Right. And I think one thing specifically that you did was also just you and Will the mindset you have about your children, they're people, mm-hmm. they're human being, they don't belong to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you gotta be present to hear them and listen. And they need guidance, yes, but they also have opinions mm. that are worth listening to. And so. not to be afraid to kind of, along the way, allow your children those decisions where they can learn to live and die by right. their own choices. Because they're so they can make mistakes, yeah. you know? And those mistakes need to be made, like, mm. you know? True. That's how you learn. Part of the yeah. process. Yeah. Well, to that point, <laughs> this question, right, I mean, this is perfect. I mean, wow. My 15-year-old daughter recently confessed to me that she lost her virginity and swore me to secrecy to not tell her father, my husband. I feel like I need to tell him, but I don't want to portray her trust. What should I do? Hmm. <laughs> I, I, I would say my gut tells me mm-hmm. that she needs to sit down and talk with the daughter and explain to the daughter why she feels a need to share it with, with the father. But That's one. Mm. But I also do believe that there... I believe that moms raise their daughters mm-hmm. and fathers love them, mm. right? And they don't and need I to believe know everything. That, right, and I believe wow. that fathers raise their sons mm-hmm. and mothers love them. Mm. And um, I think, in my opinion, as a young girl is growing and learning to be a woman, that she does need a safe space with her mother. That's true, Jada. And that sometimes dads 
they need a little time to get adjusted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there will be a time mm -hmm. um, that I think that it will happen naturally. Mm. And maybe not right now. And it might not it be right now. Yeah. Right. I just think it's a lot. She's just had this experience. She just had the courage to mm -hmm. tell her mother. That's a lot to have. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not about keeping secrets from your father, because it's not about that either, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it is, and maybe the mother can have a uh, talk with her husband and just say, hey, our daughter's growing older. I want you to know I got this. I need yeah. you to trust me. Because that's, that's what I did wow. with Will. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's yeah. Good. That's what I did <laughs> with so Will. Good. Yeah. 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 She's good. She's good. Said, so good. You know, I would wow. let Will know I got this. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, I want you to trust me. Mm -hmm. So it's like trust as opposed right. to silence. Like exactly. Silence. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Just trust me. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I'm walking with her in this and there's some things I'm going to walk with her with. And, you know, I'm not going to bring you in on everything right now. But at a time, it will be that. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So but I do think at this particular time, it's so important that that young girl can trust her mother. Right. You know, and and when it's right, dad will come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was That's good. Beautiful. I like your answer. You no. have to be so so I am. Let me tell yeah. you. My goodness. Let well, uh, Jada, Adrian, thank you so much for like blessing, gracing <laughs> oh, the no, studio. No. <laughs> you're beautiful, and, and you, you're beautiful inside and out, and we know that and love it. Um, again, Red Table Talk premieres today on Facebook. Watch it. Talk about it because my goodness, yeah. these women know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, Stephanie and I are going to read more of your tweets. Thank you both. So Um, I just saw a tweet here from one of our uh, producers, Mackenzie. She said, I'm listening so intently to Jada Pinkett Smith and her mom, Adrienne, giving parental advice. You would think I have three kids at home. Girl, same! <laughs> I know. Wow. Everything that they said was so profound. Also, two of the most beautiful women they I have are, ever seen in oh my, my entire life. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Sylvia was here after our segment, and I told you we were both just sitting here like, yeah. just listening, just Truly sitting the radiant. <laughs> yeah, and I, you can, uh, maybe you feel this one occasionally during interviews, where it's just like, there's a moment where somebody says something that's so profound and deep, and you can just like, I could feel everyone in the studio kind of beginning <laughs> to lean forward. So great. Yeah. Thank you again. And also Kiernan, shout out to Kiernan. Yeah, loved Kiernan. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. And the show is so fun and wicked and creepy and spooky but also like we were talking about just like it's like a nice metaphor for growing up as a woman it. When, so I definitely it recommend out? it uh, Friday okay oh, perfect perfect for the weekend well friends we asked you of course if you've picked out your Halloween costume and uh, you all had a lot to say Miss Smith uh, you tweeted I have costume plans out the wazoo nowhere to go though see dang the struggle is real you know what just go out in your costume and let That's the true. party find you oh I love that yeah just I go out that. and just wander the streets and I don't know. Be you. Go to the grocery That's store. That's a life move. That's a life move. Just yeah. go out and let the party come to you. Exactly. Hey. Exactly. I don't know if I would follow that, but that's my life. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know where you live, but New York City, the entire city, uh, holiday, uh, Halloween weekend. Is the subway like, is pretty lit. It's terrifying on any day. <laughs> right. yeah. Rachel Hey Girlfield says, I don't know what I'm going to wear for Halloween. I went shopping last night, and then I got a migraine, had to go home. Listen, I tried. That is so... <laughs> literally every year, I know I talked about how I usually don't dress up, but I'm always like, you know, like August, September, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this and this, and then like, I'm like, eh, no, I'm going to... Yeah. I'm going to wear like pajamas and call myself a baby or something. Screaming. I'm going to come up with something. We'll figure it out, y'all. We'll figure it out. I can't promise that it'll be in time for Well, you got to share photos. Yes. Oh, you know. 
Trust and believe, darling. Okay, well, thank you to all of our guests today. And we had a lot of them. Uh, Parker Malloy, Dominic Holden, Carla Zabludowski, Paul McLeod, Kiernan Shipka, Sylvia O'Bell, Jada Pinkett-Smith, and Adrian Banfield-Norris. Thank you all for joining us today. And Isaac will be back tomorrow, so that'll be exciting. Welcome right. back to the show. All right, have a good day, y'all. Good luck out there. <laughs>